This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Welcome to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, and for the fourth time, I am joined by Gally. Hello. Ahoy, hoy, 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 hoy. We could do the whole episode like that. It would make about as much sense as a lot of what went on. Oh, if only I could just like respond to every single question you had with ahoy, ahoy, ahoy. Uh, <laughs> We are here to discuss episode four of the 2012 Titanic miniseries. This is the Julian Fellows miniseries, and this is the final episode. Um, And we open with a first-class dinner in the a la carte restaurant. The This was accessible only to first-class patrons. This was a real restaurant. Uh, it was not included in the Titanic's fare. You did have to pay. And it was staffed completely separately, but we're having this dinner with all of the fancy people. And my first note says Georgiana does a Tommy Wiseau laugh. Uh, I said, let's start with not like other girls, Georgiana. Although, did we want to do um, the Wikipedia? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Let's do the Wikipedia. <laughs> I, I just, I got really distracted because I... Um... <laughs> You wanted really, to get right into it? Well, I wanted to get right into it because I thought my note was very interesting, only be- funny because just as you were saying, not like other girls, Georgiana, but then there was also that laugh she does where it's very like, this was such a fake laugh. She does like, ha, ha, ha. It was yeah, like, might, might as well have just been a villain laugh. Right. <laughs> but again, it sounded very, it sounded like Tommy Wiseau in the room. But uh, uh, here we go for the wiki. For those of you who have not seen this episode, here is what it says. The passengers are in a desperate plight as the Titanic sinks into the icy waters. Watson is accidentally lost. <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> Watson is. I forgot her name. <laughs> Me too. Watson. Yeah. Watson is accidentally locked in the Manton's cabin searching for her father's book when a steward orders that all first class cabins be locked to prevent people from stealing. However, she is saved when Barnes comes to her aid and gets a steward to open the door. When she is running for a lifeboat, he gives her an envelope and tells her not to open it until she's safe. Peter and Jim go in search of Teresa, Jim's daughter, but when Jim finds her, it is too late to escape. Teresa, <laughs> stupid fucking kid. Teresa asks him what they do now, and he replies that they sit there and hold each other tightly. Paolo manages to get Peter to help him free his brother and the other Italians from the cupboard. Lady Manton is finally persuaded to get into a lifeboat. As Batley and his wife try to launch the overturned lifeboat with Lord Manton, Barnes, and the other passengers and crew, the ship takes its final plunge and water engulfs the forward superstructure, sweeping them all apart. Barnes drowns. Paolo and Mario jump into the water and are separated. Mario climbs onto an overturned lifeboat and sees the ship break in half and sink beneath the ocean. Batley floats by, clinging to his wife's body. He is persuaded to let her go and is pulled aboard. Only three people are saved. Two of them are Paolo, who just died after he was found, and Lord Manton, who survives. Watson reads the letter Barnes wrote to her. It is his will, in which he leaves her a small house, which would be perfect for her father. The series ends with the survivors being approached by the rescue ship RMS Carpathia. So I have to laugh again, because I said this in the last episode too, but the, this Wikipedia summary is kind of unintentionally hilarious to me. Yes. It's just so, it's 
very deadpan, especially because there is literally just one sentence. Barnes drowns. Barnes drowns. Exactly. <laughs> like, let's get that out of the way. Oh, yeah. By the way, he drowns. Yeah. Done. <laughs> so, you know, there's all the spoilers you need. But, like, I think you kind of, it was pretty set up who was and wasn't going to survive. I for sure, though, thought Watson the maid was going to die. Just She was just such a weird, nervous wreck. I thought she was going to have some sort of panic attack or thing with the ship when she the ship so started sinking but or no, she was, was a... going to like go after the brooch like she was going to toss it into the ocean and then be like no and have to go in after it or something why would her father's book be in the first class cabin that like just occurred to me shouldn't it be in her cabin it's her book why was it lady manton's she hasn't she been am i misremembering that she has been like storing some of her stuff with Lady Manton's because she's like, oh, Lady Manton never checks on this stuff in the first place. So I'm I just going to keep it with it. No idea, honestly. I thought she was saying that in regards to her jewelry. You know, she was saying... I... Go on. I, sorry, I was going to say, like, I think that she was... Yeah, she was explaining to Barnes that she never checks her stuff so she wouldn't notice the jewelry is gone until they made it to New York. Yeah. And so the more that I think about it, I feel like lady manton's maid probably had a really fascinating story arc that we never got into like we get these weird little bits and pieces like she's the main character in a different story this whole (laughs) um and we're just like oh hey i wonder what's going on with that story there with the book and the brooch and her relationship with the manservant and him leaving her all of that stuff like we don't get any of that no when he leaves her everything it's kind of surprising because you're like wait where did that come from why like he she's just running all around the ship committing crimes and setting other people up for them and is rewarded with a house and her life who argue that uh the last episode where she was just crying incredible tears and just completely breaking down sort of came out of nowhere because we didn't have all of the emotional backstory for why it was leading up to that point. That's one of the crucial flaws with doing this, like, skip back and forth storytelling, because you Mm -hmm. often end up showing the, you know, the climax before the setup. And usually it, it shows enough to kind of give you intrigue. But in this case, it shows enough just to not give you anything. And then when it goes back and offers an explanation, the explanation is almost just not good enough. Yeah, it was enough to just make me kind of annoyed at her character, but more annoyed at the storytelling. Like, why are you giving me all of her emotional uh, highs and lows, but none of the understanding of the why? (laughs) Right, because it all just comes in this weird exposition where she blurts it all out and then she explains her plan and this and that. It just... It's all done in dialogue with and it's not done in good di- or clever dialogue. It's just that it's that classic, oh, you've caught me. Yeah. yeah you've caught me, so I'll tell you my entire plan. Yeah. Um back to the actual episode after Georgiana Wiseau laughs, there's this really uncomfortable conversation between jim and mary by the way in their room with all their kids around them like the kids are asleep and i will also say that some children definitely do just like sleep through storms so you know maybe that's the case here but 
they basically have a conversation where he where she's just like drop it about me and this other guy making out leave it alone i won't kiss him again and then she says to him he won't kiss me against my will making it super specific that it's sort of like it wasn't against my will she's all but telling she's basically telling him to his face like i wanted i wanted that it's like well you did it against your will she's like he won't kiss me against my will it's like okay but he will kiss you again is what you're saying and i think so Firstly, I always hate this in films where people have a conversation about um, two feet away from other people. And it's like, oh, they can't hear us whatsoever. It's totally fine. But I think that the kids were play pretending to be asleep because how many times as a kid did you pretend to be asleep when your parents were either arguing or talking about, say, your Christmas gifts? And you're just like, I'm just going to just going to listen in on this. Or you or you. Or your siblings, if you're me. Yeah, or your siblings. Um, so I think that that was intentional because why were they arguing in a closet? Like they could have argued outside if they were like in the hall, right? We don't want to let the kids hear. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, boat deck, boat deck. But yeah, Mary kissed Peter and hates everything and everyone. She again, whoever wrote this series doesn't like women. They really don't. They don't like women being happy. Even even Annie with her 24-hour fiancé did not yes. like being happy. <laughs> no, and um, I absolutely love this super weird setup scene where Paolo brings Annie down to meet Mario. And he's like, so you said yes, right? She's like, I didn't say yes. And he points out accurately, it's like, you came down here to meet me. That's, you know... Kind of a good step. Mm-hmm. Just saying. It they're just <laughs> children. I just I love how quickly they're moving. It's like five days into meeting someone. Please meet my family. Also, we're engaged. <laughs> okay, so this is sort of unrelated, but like, um, we had practice yesterday, mm-hmm. and one of my teammates brought her daughter. Her daughter is five years old, and her her daughter spent most of the time drawing a very large mural on the ground of a pond and adding, you know frogs and butterflies and then started handing out chalk to um us to the team and was like you can draw too and it was great because (laughs) one of her teammates oj was like i can't come practice right now i'm drawing a dinosaur (laughs) like (laughs) like, the child has told us to draw i'm making a butterfly here you're gonna need to let me go yeah um but i recently got back on my adderall and that makes my heart rate rise a little bit and it's been super super hot so i wasn't quite feeling 100% was sitting out a little bit more than I usually do. And I think this child was just waiting to get one of the adults alone because she is of that age where she's trying to figure out why, how other adults are like the adults she knows and how they're different, I think. And, you know, that's why you ask Mm. a bunch of questions because I'm her mom's age or closer to her mom's age. So the first thing she asked me was not my name, not anything like that was, do I have kids? I said, no. Why? I was like, I just, I just don't. Cause I was like, I'm not going to tell a five-year-old I don't want kids to their face, but she wouldn't let it go. So finally I was just like, I don't think I'd like kids. And I go, you know, I see a lot of doctors and stuff and was kind of doing the trail off and the hope that you don't keep asking me questions. Thing. But <laughs> then she struck again. You married? No, and I have a boyfriend. Why aren't you married? And I'm just like, wow, I, um, I need to go back to practice now. 
So I, I just ran back to practice and told my teammate, I was like, I didn't realize that you had given birth to one of my Indian aunties. Thank you for bringing my family closer to me. <laughs> you know, I felt, um, I felt a very similar thing when I used to, uh, I, I, uh, assisted, uh, an elementary school art teacher for a period of time. And <laughs> there was one moment where, um, I was just like up there talking to the kids. I was drawing a Pikachu or something like that on the screen. And yeah. some kid out of nowhere just asked me, do you have a boyfriend? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he just looked and was like, that's gross. <laughs> Thanks kid. Thanks. <laughs> so kids are kids are precocious and it's uh, kind of funny what they ask um i would hate to however be stuck in a closet with five children on the titanic while you're saying he won't kiss me against my will yeah yeah what are my, what are my kids going to ask me in that case i was bringing i brought up the kid thing because um i think they'd very much approve of georgiana uh, not georgiana of um annie and paolo because it'd be like ah of course you will get married you are adults mm-hmm you're adults in love. Marry now. You're doing the thing I'm told adults do, so do the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what she's supposed to do. Oh, by the way, my teammate was apologetic for her child, and I will say, you do not need to def- I was like, she she didn't ask me anything offensive. She's just, like, figuring out where adults fit in, like, the canon of her brain. Yeah. And yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, a lot of people think it's weird, like, weird or offensive. It's like, why does that person look like that or what have you? And it's like kids ask questions in a rude way but i think they're just trying to ascertain why are you different than me because the only reference they have is themselves yeah that's very true and unless they have uh, parents that are specifically pointing out like look at all of the differences right in human beings they will just ask it (laughs) exactly i'm sure you can catch any i'm sure if you ask your mom it's like what's something weird i asked you in public once your your my my mom and yours would probably have like 13 stories of like oh let me tell you about the time you did this yeah as long as they don't have stories of women like being a child and just randomly doing child public nudity i'm fine with that i'm fine with that i think i was a never nude child pretty quickly that's good yeah it was <laughs> that's weird smart. like that <laughs> um so there was a there was a puppy. I, I made a note oh, that um yes. there was a pup that was forced onto one of the lifeboats. Yes, I wrote down lady waiting for her dog is me. Yeah, yeah. And then at uh ten minutes into the episode is when we get the iceberg to hit. Yeah, this one is earlier in. Um, but before that, I think is the scene there's a couple things that happened before that. So we see hmm um it's various people responding to like the sinking there's a couple of things where like we see um like dog lady sits up in her bed and they're having the discussion about like my dog is trapped and i then we also i think we also see um no 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 no. this is a real guy um guy with his mistress madame aubert they come in guggenheim oh is that guggenheim yeah guggenheim yeah yeah we see guggenheim and aubert in bed and they're having, you know, it's just like a couple of various responding to the sinking moments, which are irrelevant, but weirdly funny. Yeah. I we did do like see theirs. the Batleys. <laughs> yes, you're right. We yeah. do see the Batleys where she is once again being a difficult, difficult, difficult jerk about nothing. She she said one line, uh, everything towers over you. 
to uh to her husband and i felt bad but i was also kind of like ha sorry toby jones <laughs> i mean it's fair it's a line you could say to me and it's not offensive because i'm only five five like yeah everything does tower over me i am short yeah. get over it what so was the guggenheim scene where someone mentioned white star vandalism like they were worried about vandalism oh no because i wrote down that this this show has its own that's white star line property there it is there it is this this is the oh uh, yeah this is the book this is the book debacle where he goes looking for her and is like i'm gonna kick the door down and then the guy runs up is like knock it the fuck off and then just lets her out yeah (laughs) like this is vandalism well read the room Read the water that's coming into the room. We right. gotta do a little vandalism. It's okay. Read the water stains on the carpet, sir. But yeah. also, like, it doesn't, it seems like a weird move to lock the cabins. I actually think it's a smart move because it will prevent people from trying to come back and get things. Your door is locked. Like, in this case, she gets stuck inside. But, you know, it's a pretty good way to be like, yes, we've checked this room. Like, there's nobody in here. It is locked yeah. from the outside. Because when you're doing, you know, what they, what the stewards were doing, they're doing a safety check. They're making sure that those cabins are evacuated. They're not just locking them. I mean, they say it's to make sure, let them make sure they don't steal. But the practical thing is also like, we checked this one. You can mark it off your list. You don't have to go back in. Like, you don't have to waste the precious moments checking this room. I think I'm just surprised that they did any level of um, safety emergency (laughs) processes. It's really interesting because like it's it's it, you compare it to the safety procedures today where it's, you know, every passenger has a spot in a lifeboat and you know which lifeboat it is. You don't it's not do you go to this side of the deck or that you go to this place. That is your place. And, you know, these pods have many more f- features for survival and for location and for comfort. All these things. Um, there were not that level of procedure back then and the crew did a lot of exceptionally good work i mean there's a lot of stories of people of course losing their heads but there's a lot of stories and i've touched on this where like murdoch was very diligent in launching and filling his lifeboats as best as he could Mm -hmm. on the starboard side and then you hear stories about like how um chief baker jockin was like you don't want to get on the lifeboat that's too bad i'm just going to throw you into it because you're going to survive god damn it So there's those stories and there's, you know, all kinds of incredible stories of, you know, the crew in the engineering room staying as long as they could to keep the power on the electricians, excuse me, the, a lot of engineers and stokers stayed at their post to try to make sure that the, um, to rake out the coils, um, the, Mm -hmm. the coals so that the boilers didn't explode. Um, and then there was, uh, the wireless operator who died at his post still sending out SOS signals. There's a lot of things that, you know, obviously this is a fictional depi- depiction. I th- I think that this showing is actually really disfavorable to the crew, personally. Yeah. Well, what, so, <clears throat> so I do just want to address, like, what it sounds like you're yeah. saying is the, uh, the quartet that went down with the ship, probably the most famous of, oh, they're going down with the ship aside from the captain, um, represents a lot more people than the average person realized who actually like continued to do their jobs on the titanic as it sank there's a lot you know you know um the orchestra you know the quartet obviously they played you know the you know everyone's like literally until the ship sank it's like they played until the deck listed too much and it pitched them off i mean yeah they they're 
I was, um, when I was at the Titanic exhibit, there is a walkable platform of three different um, angles to show the sinking of the Titanic. I didn't bring my violin, obviously, but um, I did climb up on all three of them and like held the violin pose. It is nigh impossible on the highest one, let alone trying to play. But there was a lot of people, as you as you were saying, that went down doing their best. You know, there's a lot of people that we, you know, historically lose track of. Um, we I addressed it briefly where like Murdoch, they, you know, there's these assumption of suicide, but it's sort of like no one actually has confirmed where he was in his last. Like no one's ever been able to be like, mm. for example, I saw him, his leg got wrapped in the anchor chain and he went down like th- that's a definitive way to say something happened to him. But there's so many people that went down who had stories of you know the last time we saw andrews he was running around trying to persuade as many people as he could and to get in and all these incredible people still trying to do their very best Hmm. but yeah i i agree with you though that this show like does not does not portray the crew that well no it's pretty mean to the crew overall except for light toller who is a magician yeah light toller i guess represents um all of the good folks on the crew um literally every single one of them because they did not or could not cast for all of these individual roles so they just made one guy one guy be the superhero which is an extremely weird decision because again you see they're not easily identified like they are in cameron's film but like you can see scenes with murdoch you can see scenes with wild who were the chief and first officer they address moody who's fifth officer by name like, they have all these other officers that they definitely could have used in their actual roles or just to make it seem a little bit less like he can open portals into space and time. <laughs> yeah. But in- instead, they chose to give us this uh, Terminator man. That's fine. I wish, you know what I wish he did do? I wish he actually, like, forced the Teresa kid onto the lifeboat oh, instead of her just God. jumping off. I'm sorry, Teresa's the dumbest child. And I realize that a lot of, you know, a lot of it is like grace given to kids, et cetera, et cetera. But she's an old enough kid. And her whole thing was the boat's going to break. The boat's going to break. It's like the boat you're, you jumped back on is breaking. Yeah. She also like, this is just, maybe this is my um, storytelling hat that I'm putting (laughs) on. But I think I was a little disappointed that, Teresa was not the kid that ran off in the very, very beginning when we first see <laughs> uh, the electrician's family. It was just one of their random. It was sons. Sean. It was Sean the son. So Sean I really think it should have been a <laughs> Sean the sheep. I think it should have been a really good through line if they kept showing like, oh, this is what Teresa does. She's dumb and she runs off. She'll She's get afraid captured. of boats. <laughs> She's afraid of boats. She'll, she'll get captured by Peter Lubov. Um, well returned by peter luboff um she'll run off another point like we see in another episode um and she'll run off of this boat instead of just kind of it doesn't exactly come out of nowhere that this kid is like no i need to be with daddy but it is it's just kind of strange (laughs) it's super strange and also what's more strange is mary telling peter her not lover lover to help her husband find her errant child yeah again i wish that there was more backstory because it would have been very fascinating to know that Teresa is actually um 
Peter's child instead of Jim. Or something. Yeah, like these are all, okay, they're not totally made up people, but there's enough made up people and enough made up history in this show that we should just go full drama and just give that level of backstory to explain why the hell Peter would be invested in any of this, aside from the fact that he finds the woman in a lifeboat who he will probably never see again kind of hot. It's very weird. And I, I, it's just weird. That's all I have because their relationship is set up to be nothing more than that. Like if we are to believe this story on face value, they encounter each other April the 10th. And if I'm guessing the timeline correctly, they kiss each other on like April the 13th. Mm-hmm. This is the night of April the 14th. Yeah. That's she, it. She was 100% acting like she's known this man for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, for some inane reason, except perhaps that he's a guy, you know, I can also see where, like, maybe if you're fully oh, prepared to die on this ship because it's sinking and some woman asks you to find her child, it might be like, oh, I mean, I guess, what else am I going to do in this moment? Yeah. Well, we know in this minute it's significant because she asked him. It's because it's her. Yeah. Also, he doesn't find her. Uh, her dad does. And by the time he finds her, they're fucked. Yeah. So so Jim, the electrician, is the one yes. who finds Teresa. And yes. then, yeah, then they just kind of die together. So it's yeah. kind of sad, but it's also kind of like, I could have seen how some of this could have been avoided if you made the characters have any extra level of human intelligence. Right. Like... This is my complaint with a lot of things is that when you attempt to do too much, you're not able to get depth onto any one particular plot line. And that's where you develop those emotional ties to characters and situations. And we didn't spend enough time with any of these characters in non-emotionally fraught moments. And those are the moments where you actually bond with these characters and it was the complaint that I had for um, Raya and the Last Dragon, for example. It was a really cool premise for a movie. And I love deep, uh, dipping into that like South Asian mythology. I mean, I'm Indian and Filipino. So that really, really, you know, tuned home for me being based a lot in like that kind of mythology. But they tried to put enough plot points in basically a 90 minute movie to fill season one of an anime. It was a lot of plot too much and this feels like you know we have so many plots here we have whatever's going on with the mantons we have whatever's going on with the batleys we have whatever is going on with annie and paolo we have paolo and mario's story individually we have the story of the mantons maid and the footman like there's so and oh jim and his family there's so many plot lines where it feels like this feels like the setup for an eight to ten episode miniseries but instead they crammed it all in here gave it no breathing room and so when these emotional moments happen there is no landing there's no impact and and i would also uh add to that and say because of the limited time frame that they gave themselves and because of how many people they added we also don't get closure for a lot of these stories they just kind of end but not in a satisfying way Right, they just fade. It is hard cut to black in a lot of cases. 
and there's no but also because there's been no proper setup for them the resolution it just it all feels abrupt and undeserved and that all just lends into it being quite flat emotionally well speaking of being abrupt and undeserved um okay very soon after this whole uh teresa minute we also get to see uh a continuation of the scene from the very first episode where lady manton is in the lifeboat and oh, yeah this is the point where she's being like lowered down and of course again this entire season she has been just a miserable miserable woman hates everything hates mm-hmm. everyone hates the whole backstory suddenly she turns to her husband hugh as the lifeboat is being lowered and is like Hey, let me redeem myself really quickly. I'll go ahead and take care of your bastard daughter. Okay, goodbye. It was it Sorry, was abrupt. I'm a yoo-hoo. It was abrupt, and I thought I was a mute, and then I realized I wasn't. I apologize. <laughs> I'm doing great today. Um, but this reminded me of the attempt at redemption for Mrs. Batley. Where, like I said, in a vacuum, that scene was actually really well done. And if you picture that that was the closing scene of a like long and tender relationship, it was actually filmed really well. Mm-hmm. And again, if this interaction was happening after a different couple's interaction, it would actually be a very touching moment of her being like, I knew, I know, I knew all along. And in this moment of life and death, I choose to forgive you. Yeah. But it it didn't. It just came out like, mm-hmm. goodbye. Yeah, and I think we also jump ahead a little bit. Um, Ooh, but probably. that's that's also where, um, like, Mister Batley says, "I love you," and Muriel does not say it back. <laughs> like I, I uh. made a note about how Han Solo of her to not say that. Um, it's this is this is when they're actually in the water. But I was like really like she you're you're just not gonna okay okay <laughs> all right you literally just had that scene where you were like boy i wish i wasn't so boy i wish wish i wasn't such a miserable bitch i'm so sorry i turned out this way cool you could easily redeem yourself at the very last minute by saying i love you back but nope <laughs> just no not. she just chooses to become a literal frigid bitch instead yeah also and, uh oh, i'm sorry on. before we move on um from the drowning italians Oh, yeah, I wanted to get back to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so little brother Paolo is trying to... He got Annie onto a lifeboat, which, by the way, it seems to be the smart thing to do. It's like, get your girl onto a lifeboat and deal with yourself. With, uh, so he does that. And then he's trying to get his brother and the other Italians out, which... <laughs> this is a question that is asked in, in Titanic forums a lot. Were people, especially people of any particular race, mm-hmm. actively locked away? Were they? I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think so. I have found no evidence to prove that. However, again, there were a lot of class barriers and there were a lot of things that happened. Like it took third class way longer to get up simply because you know even if there weren't any barriers they weren't ever meant to get up to first class in the first place at least not like this not to the launching lifeboats point so it was complicated they also had women and men women and children separated from men Mm -hmm. um when they were traveling 
if they didn't have, you know, quarters as a family. And sometimes it was a little too expensive to book like a solo cabin. So they might split them up. Um, but a lot of people were trying to find their families. Like men were running to the um, to the front of the ship looking for their families. And the families are running to the back looking for their husbands. You know, they're trying to unite their, and their children. Many of the, you know, the boy, some of the boys over a certain age would, uh, would be staying with their fathers. Yeah. So there was a lot of that kind of thing going on and there is some testimony or there have been, I've seen a couple of stories saying that the employees of the a la carte restaurant, which were primarily Italian were instructed to stay there mm. and may not have ever been given the all clear or only figured out what was happening when it was too late. So there may have been those kinds of situations where it was sort of like remain calm, just stay here. And then no one came back for them or what have you. I don't, I don't know. Cause that, that's, that's way harder to, to ascertain or prove that, you know, if there was never a locked door, the only locked door was, you know, the instructions were to stay here. Right. Right. I, I think, um, the reason that we don't know why, like, if anybody was locked is uh, because, thanks to this show, um, Peter would have just shown up and been able yes. to dive underwater and unlock the door. Like, how how bloody lucky was it that a expert lockpick just happened to be down, showing up where Paolo was? Like, oh. With the piece of wire that was meant to frame him for a crime in his pocket. Convenient. Oh, very convenient indeed. Yeah. So maybe, maybe what this show is posing is uh, Peter Lubov, Peter the painter, was actually on the Titanic. We just don't know because he was such a hero at the end that he just went around swimming underwater like a little lockpicking um merman and just letting everybody out letting them all be free to go into the freezing water and then he dies while moping in front of an unlocked door delivering a strange line about redemption to a bunch of fleeing immigrants yeah i mean i guess he he did he did the last thing he wanted to do in his life unlock a door on a sinking ship that's just full of italians and then deliver exposition over his shoulder yeah and then just deliver exposition over his shoulder um i i felt like the water acting uh in the show was not great uh i know that water was supposed to be freezing and it looked like just kind of a nice little little bath for everyone yeah so two things one in the cameron film they cgi added in breath to make it look extra cold which they did not do here and also i think the people maybe just sold it a little bit more yes i think that's truly the clue because i i have the episode playing in the background and people are just kind of like they're swimming they're swimming like maybe it's a little cold like maybe it's not like the ideal temperature for like a pool party but they seem okay yeah i didn't recall any moment where where we even got that visual of ooh, like the shiver like to denote oh by the way this water is freezing that's another issue here 
Um, it was just kind of like, ooh, let's just let's just have a little swim in the absolutely pitch black waters. <laughs> I think you know when you're making a historical piece, I, there's a lot where I imagine that you can do like leaning on the history of it all. Where it, it's, you know, pretty obvious where it can be like, obviously this, you know, everyone knows the story of the Titanic, blah, blah, blah. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was an iceberg and it was cold, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that there's a lot of hoping that people fill in the blanks, but you still need the people involved in the show to help film it. Because, again, yeah. they're panning in on everyone sitting in the lifeboats watching the Titanic sink. And I get that it's very surprising, but everyone's just staring in awe, like no one's shivering no one's doing the like jaw tremble that you get when you start getting really cold before you start doing a full body shiver. No one's like, oh. yeah, breathing on their hands. There's, there's no indicator that you know. There's no mood setting. Yeah, that's very much missing. There's missing in a lot. You know, we we're talking about the score not being very good. We we're talking about all these things, and it's sort of like you need everyone to, pardon the pun, be on board here. So it's kind of like. You know when they show the behind the scenes with Star Trek and they're like, and you're hit, and everyone on set just starts shaking around? It would look dumb if one person was standing there normally and everyone else was like, Yeah. It's kind of that here where they didn't tell anyone that, oh, by the way, Andrew's supposed to be cold. Uh, Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it felt like they were having to do um, a lot of acting because, as you said, they were in the lifeboats watching the Titanic go down. I don't know how they could even see the Titanic, given how dark it was. Like, I could barely tell that the Titanic was breaking in half and, like, sinking when I was watching the scene. I was like, oh, what are they watching out there? What's that? Oh, oh. (laughs) So I think they're trying to show that more realistic to how it probably was the night of the sinking. Because, like, again, in the Cameron film, the lights are still on and everything. But that's for dramatic effect. In real life, it probably looked way more like that. Um. But that doesn't do well for cinematography. Yeah, and they've already uh, dramatized so much of this thing. I feel like they could have just given us a little bit, a little bit brighter of a moon. Just that's all, just a little bit. Or just do do you know? Again, utilize the concept of filmmaking. Do something. Yeah. To make it, even if you know it's like quote unquote not accurate, just adjust the brightness on that a little bit to make it visual. Because yeah, you're it is difficult and. I knew what it was because I've I've seen the show before and again I've seen enough Titanic media where it's like I know what's happening and when it's going to happen and how to expect it but still it's just sort of like you kind of got to squint to make it out because yeah and also the CG was very um the sinking was very CG it was bad it was dated and I, and I know this is 2012 and it's something that was made for TV but mm-hmm it was definitely dated. I, I feel like they could have um, actually think an improvement would have been to have just a piece of paper show up on screen and then somebody's hand just rip the paper in half. Like it has a picture of the <laughs> Titanic drawn on the paper and then they just rip the paper in half and then just kind of drop the front half of the piece of paper with the Titanic on it. <laughs> you should have just taken a Lego Titanic model and had somebody pull two thirds of the front apart and to keep the, the back third with them. Actually, I think if they would have done that, they would have elicited so many, uh, so much more dramatic and better responses because everybody would have gone, no, that took so much work to put together. (laughs) Honestly, probably. (laughs) 
when you're building the Titanic Lego model, you're not only building uh, like one 500th scale version of the model, you're also experiencing one 500th of the amount of time and effort it went into building the real Titanic. It does take quite a bit of effort and time. And while you're building it, at least in my case, it was just in three separate parts around my apartment because I didn't have a place that was big enough to display it. So I had like the bow on my bookshelf. I had part of it in my kitchen and another part in my windowsill. You were the Kraken. You're just I like, was. I'm just going to move them my boat. <laughs> Basically, I was like, I'm just going to play with the pieces of my boat here. Nobody mind me. Um. So this is this is the part of the the show where we stop focusing on the actual titanic itself and now we just focus on all of the stuff that happened on the lifeboats at least for like a few minutes yeah uh here is where she that a couple things happen number one maid reads the letter and realizes she's gotten everything from this guy yeah she came out on top for being so emotionally unstable she did um Oh, I also like there's this one uh, where so there's an overturned collapsible light boat and that's where we see all those guys kind of sitting on it. And at one point, light toller is swimming over and someone says not to let him on. And mm-hmm. another guy says, but he's the second officer. And the other guy responds, well, I can't help that. <laughs> I like that. I do too. That's like, such well, a that's not, not my problem. <laughs> I, uh, I did like that, but um. Uh, yeah, this is also where we get our Rose and Jack moment um, with the Bowies. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a reverse Rose and Jack. Yeah, they pull him from the water, but he was staying afloat by holding onto his dead wife. Yeah, yeah. And and poor John Batley was so far gone that he's like, no, 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 she's just sleeping. I'm sure she's fine. Yeah, and they're like, no, 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 it's, it's she she won't be mad. Just 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 let go. Just, but she's but she's just taking a little ice nap. I mean, she did talk about how she wanted to be preserved. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they so he gets pulled in. Um, they also like they show kind of the rescue of Paolo and Lord Manton. Just kind of like, oh, <laughs> to me it felt very. Oh, who are, who is that over there? Oh, other main characters. Okay, we got to bring them in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very they didn't bring anybody else in it was just them the three it was two main characters um and paolo dies but when they bring them back annie you know runs over there and is like you know does the whole oh no (laughs) when someone tries to give tries to uh, offer condolences she's like did you know him well she's like i was going to marry him so, so you're talking about when all of the lifeboats um, decided to get together and go look for more, uh, yes. more survivors. Yeah. And they find the overturned lifeboat and it's like, yay, everyone's here. And then poor Annie, poor Annie and her 24 hour fiance. She got nothing out of that deal besides the story. <laughs> nope. But it's okay. The Manson guy survived. So she doesn't have to take care of his kid. Honestly, the 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 like best character of this entire show is Hugh Manton simply because he doesn't he doesn't really have any stakes. You know he's going to survive. 
he's rich so he seems to be able to but but like rich but a nice rich guy at least in the context of the show so it seems like he'll take care of people and like just be a decent human being i'm sure i know he's a fake character but i'm sure in reality he would have been a monster but (laughs) (laughs) he is kind of like the goodest (laughs) the goodest boy yeah he's like the chill he's like the golden retriever of the show yeah also i made a note that the uh manton manservant wrote a will really quickly like when did he have time to write what he was going to give to i don't um, know i think we're supposed to have the implication that he's been in like in love with her or something but once again did not get that impression watching this they seemed very much like strangers but yeah he had time to rewrite his will and leave her everything which like that's a choice you can make but i guess you know he's he's dying and has nothing so may as well give it to someone he knows yeah also i can't remember when this was but somebody was um was it manton who had a bottle of brandy or was it light toller there was somebody who was able to basically buy their way onto the overturned boat where they're like i have brandy with me and everyone was like oh thank god I don't think that happened. I think Dorothy Gibson was like, I have Brandy, and she runs it over to Manton. That's it. That's it. Okay, you're right. Yeah, Dorothy Gibson had Brandy, gives it to Manton, and within about a quick sip, suddenly he is the warmest man on the planet. He's he's alive. He's like, uh, uh, I'm yeah. here. Yeah. And then after, he, after they celebrate, uh, Mrs. Manton looks at Annie and just goes, I'm so sorry. How does she, like? I guess I guess they did kind of interact with each other, but it's not like there was any like I don't think they did. I think it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, you're grieving that dead person. Yeah. I Sorry. guess that's, that's fair. You're spoiling our, our celebration. Yeah, also, come on, Lady Manton. It's too late to show emotion that isn't just hate. Yeah, nobody cares. You we we've written you off. Yeah. Uh my final note is on another terrible line and it's when they it's the someone's pointing to the carpathia and they say light flickering on the horizon as though that's a sentence that any people say in normal life that's how human beings speak out words i think i was just upset that that was like the last 30 seconds that we hear that line and then we're just like okay and then they're saved it's fine like Yeah, they just yada 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 the whole rescue. Like it's not a big deal. So I suppose like the show is called Titanic. That's that's Carpathia. That's goodbye. Not interested. I suppose so. But it it really was just it was very. Um, and then the Carpathia showed up, and they were all saved. And don't ask any more questions. Goodbye. <laughs> right. It was. What's the thing from Monty Python? Something happened, and there was more rejoicing. Yes. Yes. Um. Wasn't it like the and, and it was also like the ending of uh monty python and the holy grail where this story just kind of ends exactly yeah Uh, yeah the show just kind of stops we we didn't even get a post um fade to black text on our screen to tell us what happened with any of these characters no they didn't even do that for the real people yeah it was just like okay, we guess they're all going to be saved and have a nice life. Like The show's over. Yeah. I Get out. What is it about... <laughs> I, I, sorry. I feel like this is just like a failing on a screenwriter's part to not do any type of closure. And it's always very frustrating to me because it feels like they wrote the rest of the script 
And then we're told, oh, you need to be able to end this in four episodes. And they get to the fourth episode and they just go, bye. All right. And they were rescued, I guess. I don't, I don't feel like writing more. I don't feel like going back and figuring this out. I don't know if this was supposed to be some weird attempt at artistic ending, but it was just silly. Yeah. Well, that was the 2012 miniseries. That, that was it. I normally ask my guests on this show um, a very specific question, but it's because they're all Titanic fans. I'm going to ask you, though, just because. Um, yeah. And I normally ask people when they come on my show, and this sh- I guess I should have done this episode one, um, I ask people what their Titanic story is. My Titanic story is being a young child in Colorado and having a brief period of time where I was obsessed with the Titanic, but more specifically, I was doing a report on Molly Brown Mm. and getting to visit Molly Brown's house in Colorado and having a really cool time, just like geeking out at that point. I should have you come back for a proper episode then. (laughs) If you, if you ask me to remember literally anything uh, from that period of time, because this was elementary school. Sure. um, I will not be unsinkable. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on to this show and doing this weird little series with me. I had such a joy doing this. I feel like I had just enough uh, knowledge of the Titanic, again, maybe thanks to this past experience, that I could get annoyed (laughs) at just the right things. Yeah. And there was plenty to get annoyed with here. So much to get annoyed with. But if you if you like Galley and want to hear more of Galley, you should check us out on our podcast we do damsels who discuss i will put all the info for that in the episode description and we are watching our way through the disney animated classics it's it's been a good time yeah especially if you also enjoy um movies or tv shows that just end abruptly a lot of the early disney films just kind of end (laughs) abruptly so there's really a lot of relatable content yeah it's just sort of like i'm done here bye and they're just like, all right, I guess I get to go to lunch now. I respect that. Sometimes you're just you're just done. And uh, yeah, I guess that makes us done done here. Yeah. And I think that we can even do our same sign off. I think we, we can on the on our show. Would you would you like take it off? I would. Um, so long, Glamour Boys. And that's spelled B-U-O-Y-S. <laughs> so long, Glamour Boys. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word. Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!